Hello, and welcome to the SAMOC Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Commander Dirk with us for an episode centered around being an undersea medical officer or UMO. How are you doing today, Commander Dirk? Great. It's wonderful to join you. Thank you so much for doing this. I want to start off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you go to medical school? Where did you go for your residency, etc.? Awesome. I am from the Maryland area. I grew up in Maryland, and my father had been in the Navy and got out prior to me being born, but definitely spoke very highly of his Navy time. Originally, I went to what's now Towson University for undergraduate, but I always wanted to be a doctor, but I kind of was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. So I started out majoring in early childhood education, <laughs> which did not last very long, and I changed my course and ended up with a degree in chemistry and psychology. At that point, I was like, I really want to do maybe medicine, but I ended up teaching high school for a little while right after college. And what really drew me to the Navy was not only my dad's service, but there's a book called The Rising Sun by John Toland, and it talks about the war in the Pacific. And I'm kind of a history junkie a little on the side. I actually recently re-listen to that book again, and it's, it's an amazing book about what the greatest generation did. From there, I was like, I want to be a doctor for Marines. That's what I want to do. I applied to UCIS and was accepted, but during my application process, at the time, I had student ambassadors. The student ambassador that I talked to was like, hey, I, I went out and I did this summer experience because between your first and second year, they do summer experience for students who have not had military service in the past, and I can get this out at Buds, out in Coronado, and it was so cool, and I did all these neat things, and I was like, really? Tell me more. So it was my first exposure, really, to the undersea medicine community. So once I got accepted to use this as a Navy student, I began to ask more questions about this. What is this undersea medicine? And what's really amusing is my dad actually loved aviation and really wanted me to be a flight surgeon, but I, just, I didn't want to do that. This undersea medicine thing just sounded so cool. And what one of the biggest things that drew me to it was the standards were the same for men and women. To be a diver, you get to go to dive school. Diver is not a gender thing. You have to take this also into context that when I joined in 2000, many ratings and career fields were not open to women the way they are today. To me, it was really attractive to be able to be in that environment. So I basically tried to what I call a pledge to fraternity. Every time there was a speaker that came to school to talk about industry medicine or anything like that, I grabbed one of them and like, hey, let me ask you some questions and things like that. And I did my summer experience, though. Remember, my dad wants me to do aviation. So I did spend some time on the aircraft carrier, but I also spent some time with the submarine force down in Norfolk and EOD, the explosive ordnance disposal. And I was absolutely hooked from then on and worked really hard during the rest of my medical school time to get prepared, be able to pass the diver PRT and things like that. And so went through right after medical school to my internship down at Portsmouth. I did a transitional internship and then went to dive school after that. 
then about my residency, during my time as a UMO, my second UMO tour was at UOD Group 1 in San Diego. They have a training range that's really interesting. It's out at China Lake where they do a lot of explosive things that they have, are able to set up all different kinds of uh, scenarios as well. They have a town. But this, again, this is years ago. I don't know what the current state of this is, but it was really a neat facility. But it's in the middle of a desert. I can just imagine if you were, as a skip down a little series, but if you were a mouse or you were some sort of rodent out in the desert, this is like a mecca because all these guys would come to the facility and they barbecue and they weren't the best about keeping their food together and keeping it clean and things like that. And so I came out there. Originally, they wanted me to look at trauma, like if they had trauma out there because it was an hour drive to the base from the facility and the life flight. They would sometimes close the airspace on the range. They might have to hold a patient. As I went through it, I was like, you know, those are not insurmountable. But this mouth problem that you have, that is going to be a problem because actually I worked with the environmental protection unit and we packed the mice out there only to find out they had hantavirus. We did a big program to secure the facility and get rid of the rodents and things like that. That's kind of what got me hooked on my eventual residency, which was preventive medicine. I did that as a full-time out service at Johns Hopkins. I tell people it's great to be from Hopkins. It was a really great experience going to a civilian residency, but I loved my use of time. I feel like I got the best of both worlds with my residency at medical school. After that, I did a tour with the Marines uh, at 3MAP in Okinawa, Japan, and then came back to Duma and did a tour there, doing the personnel reliability program for nuclear weapons, and then most recently I was in Yokosuka, Japan, at the hospital there, and now actually back at Duma again. So that's kind of the thumbnail sketch of my career. That sounds amazing. It sounds like you've had a lot of unique experiences and have been able to travel a lot with the Navy, which I think is one of the reasons that a lot of people decide to go this route. Absolutely. I would say it's what you make of it. My first tour, I love to tell people the story about my first tour because my dad had been on a ship and I had some familiarity with ships and I was like, I do not want to go on a ship. That's another reason I want to do undersea medicine thing because there's only two billets on ships. And I feel pretty certain I could probably not get one of those. And sure enough, the way things worked out, the two ships that we do have billets on are the submarine tenders. At the time, the ship that they had orders for was in La Maddalena, Italy, which by the way is closed now, so you can't go there anymore. But the submarine tenders are still available for duty. At any rate, they wanted a female medical officer. I was the only female UMO student in my class, and so at the time, I got picked by class rank, and I was number two, and the first guy picked, and then it was my turn, and they said, Thank you, we know where you're going. And they moved on to the next person. <laughs> so that was very painful for me at the time, right? Because I'm like, man, I do not want to go to a ship. But I have to say, long term, that tour has paid dividends in space. Not only because I had that shipboard experience as a young lieutenant, so I was able to earn my surface warfare pin in addition to having my remote pin. But we talk a lot about warfare devices and aligning yourself to different warfare communities. I have now two communities that I could go to in the future, so that was really nice. It also showed credibility with patients. When I see them, they look at it like you basically in the Navy, kind of wear your resume on your chest, 
and so they could see that I had some operational time. But even more than that, the shipboard experience, we deployed to Africa, to the Gulf of Guinea. We were the first ship into Angola in over, like, 30 or 40 years. That was pretty amazing. We went through the Panama Canal, which is also an amazing day. That's probably my best day on the ship was going through the Panama Canal. But the final thing I would say is the people that I made contact with and friends with on that ship. I had kept in touch with several of those folks for years and years afterwards. They were all in the weapons community. Several of them were weapons officers on the submarine. And for someone like me, I never would have really run across those folks if I hadn't been on a submarine tender or with a submarine squadron. When I came back to do personnel reliability for nuclear weapons, I knew some people in the community, and that was huge. Especially because, again, you have to look at the context that this was all happening in. Submarine service was not open to women when I first lived on the submarine tender. And so that was a great way for me to interact with submarine officers without being in a position where I really couldn't be. Now, obviously, over the years that has changed, we have women on submarines now. It's been a huge, huge change. And actually, I tell people when I first started, this is going to be me, I know, but when I first started in the Navy, they used to allow smoking on submarines. Number one, I was contaminant. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so anyway, we don't allow smoking, but we do allow women. I've just really seen huge changes over my time in the Navy. Good changes, of course those opportunities. So I always tell folks some things that don't necessarily look like good opportunities may turn out to be really amazing opportunities. And obviously being young, single and hanging out in Italy, you can't beat that. We weren't out to sea all the time. I got an opportunity to travel in Europe and see a lot of things that, you know, you just never would have gotten that opportunity. Certainly as a civilian probably. Living in Italy, I don't know how people do that as a civilian. I'm sure there's ways, but it was a great experience. What do you think that your favorite experience has been thus far? You've traveled a lot. You've done a few different tours. Then you all know it's all. Which one do you have the most passion for? That's an interesting question, and they're different in different ways. I'll just tell you a little bit about a couple different experiences, kind of to give you a flavor for things. I really did enjoy them all in their own way, right? I tell people it's all what you make of it. I think most recently, at least career-wise, probably the most rewarding job that I had was with the Marines. They love their medical officers, and I finally did get to do that dream, right? First tour was on a ship, second tour was with EOD, but then I did get to, after residency, do my Marine Corps tour, which I was super, super excited about. In Okinawa, which... Again, one specific World War II, amazing history there. Just a lot to see and do. But I think what made that job particularly great was I had an amazing boss. I worked for General Paul Kennedy. Worked very close with him because he was not only the Deputy Three Mess commander, but he was also the med surgeon. And we did a couple of humanitarian missions. Probably the most notable was when we went to Nepal after the earthquake there in 2015. I was a senior medical officer on the ground. I didn't have a boss back in Okinawa, but I was a senior medical person there, which was a really great experience, right? Something that you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't get to do if you were doing civilian medicine in the same way, right? 
I get their practice without borders folks there, and I'm talking a lot with actually some of the humanitarian aid organizations that were there, NGOs, American Force, folks like that. But representing the military, and we had a very clear mission set, it was a new experience. We did lose an aircraft there, we lost a helicopter. And so I think that was also a really huge learning experience for me just dealing with that whole situation, something where you go in to do good things, humanitarian mission, and then it gets turned to what we thought was hopefully would be a rescue, but it was a recovery mission. I just learned a lot about things that you never end up thinking that you're going to do. That was probably a top experience for me. The other one during that same tour, we had a, the largest DOD outbreak of leptospirosis on the island of Okinawa. They actually had to close to have elective surgery at the hospital because so many Marines that needed to be hospitalized after they had contracted lepto during some training that they did at the Jungle Warfare Training Center. And so it was a great opportunity to learn a lot about a specific disease, how that works, how we should better protect our folks, um, learn historically that this has been a problem and Kind of is one of those things where the stars and clean up the line, the rainfall, the temperature, just the other conditions of the animals that are the reservoir for this all coming together. And then, of course, people not taking it prophylactic or not taking it in an appropriate way, whatever you want to say about that. But that all kind of came together to produce this. It was a tragic event. I don't want to minimize that at all, certainly for the people who are affected, but we learned a lot from that and hopefully can prevent those types of things in the future. It was a great opportunity to work with my Air Force colleagues. They did all of our water sampling there, as well as my other Navy colleagues at the hospital and at the prevent medicine unit. And we ended up writing a paper about it, so that was just, it was a great experience in that regard as well. And then seeing the Marine Corps, not Every Marine is an amazing leader, but they certainly have many people who are great leaders. Um, working for General Kennedy, having the opportunity, I did Marine Corps Commander staff in person while I was there. Um, and I highly recommend that going forward is for you to either do legal work college or community staff or whatever with your peer group because it gives you a great opportunity to meet folks that are work peers but are line officers. And so you learn a lot about what their day-to-day life is and kind of get the chance to maybe walk a mile in their shoes and see what they're doing and things like that. And so I also had that opportunity during that tour. So I think that's probably probably close to my number one tour. But then, like I said, the ship was amazing, learning a lot about, again, shipboard life, the you know, dive locker there. We did a harbor cleanup in the Monterey before we left. This was a huge salvage operation. And I actually dove, which was really amazing as well. I used to say I was one of the highest paid trash pickers ever. That was great. My time with EOD is very interesting, very interesting community. Learned a lot about special operations and kind of what they do being in San Diego. And making friends with the first one of our that definitely took a little bit of time over there as well, and got a little taste of that community and, and things like that. So I feel like I've gotten to see many communities within the Navy, which is something that not many people get a chance to do. And so I think that 
overall been just a highlight. Obviously, people are like, oh, you're doing another course. You know, it's like, how did that happen? But that's the other thing I learned is the Navy gives you lots of flexibility to try different things. One of the things that I found out that I actually really like, my first tour at UMED was just like, I didn't know what I was going to do. There was just so Captain Waters, who is kind of a, a legend in the undersea community, recruited me to come work there. He said, I have a job for you. <laughs> but you should always be a little skeptical about that, but it turned out to be a really great job. And so I learned a lot about policy, and there are some folks out there like me who really enjoy the policy side, and so they need to give you a chance to take a look at that as well. And so when you say, what were your favorite tour? Their favorites for different reasons from that perspective. Uh, I'm glad we had all those experiences, I guess I'd say. That sounds really amazing. I think what's really great about conversations like this is it gets me and other students excited for all the opportunities that are out there. Do you feel like you have had more experiences doing quote-unquote cool stuff like this in comparison to your peers, or is your story the norm? I would say that a lot depends on the tours that you choose, right? You know, I talk a lot with medical students and they're, they're really excited to start a medical career. The one question I have for them is, okay, you joined the Navy. What are you going to talk about when you're, like, 40, 50, 60 years old? Are you going to talk about that really cool patient that you saw? Maybe. What are you going to talk about this great life experience that you had? Probably the life experience. And so the more often you're with the operational community, the more frequently you'll have opportunities to have that life experience. If you are sitting in the hospital in San Diego, you are not going through the Panama Canal, right? Just by being out there with the operational units, you're going to have an opportunity to see things that the civilian counterparts won't have. What's great about the Navy, still, is you kind of get to decide how much of that you want or don't want. I have colleagues who have done a lot of operational tours like I have, and they have great stories, amazing stories. And then I talk to other folks, certainly when I was in the hospital, there were many, many folks who hadn't ever even done a DMO tour. So they just really were kind of out of touch with the, their patients. And I say that only because one of the challenges that we had is for people to really understand the occupational side of Navy medicine or military medicine, things that you would just think are okay are not always okay. And I use the example of I sprained my ankle. So most people, a sprained ankle, you can go back to work, like if you're a specialist, you're sitting at a desk, things like that. If you are hiking as an infantry marine or you are special operators, depending on how bad that sprain is, we may not want you out there doing that, right? Because now your injury becomes not only a fugue to your group of folks that you're operating with and things like that. And so it's a very simple example, but it's one of those examples where having that operational experience really even informs your practice in the hospital, where you start to ask your patients, hey, what's your job? What exactly do you do? And looking at their illness or their condition through those lenses. And so that's the other thing that I think is great about having the experience. Not only is it a personal thing like this is really great, but it makes you a better physician in the end. In order to get all these experiences, 
were these things that you chose or things that were offered to you or both? You need to look around and see what you want to do. I talked to students at Science Medical School, right? The challenge is, hey, I really want to get accepted to the school. And I say, hey, the interview process is as much about a school liking you as you liking the school. It's the same thing when you go to residency, right? I was talking on the phone last week with one of the junior year models who said, hey, I want to talk about preventive medicine. I'm like, great, let's talk about that. Because you need to decide as a student or as a intern, is this right for me? And so I encourage people, go out, ask lots of questions. And that opens up doors. And so one of the things we've done when I was at United the last time was we actually tried to hook up medical students when they were doing their third and fourth year rotation with folks out in the fleet to be able to even spend an afternoon with them, see what they do, ask them questions, because that does two things for you. That gives you an opportunity to see what's out there, but also gets your name out there and gets you seen by the community, because team nature to want to be with people who are interested in what you're interested in, right? So that's a great opportunity. And it also, for me, I enjoyed my time on the aircraft carrier, don't get me wrong. Like, it was super neat to stand on the flight deck when flight operations were going on. I mean, that's, again, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but I was like, I do not want to be a flight station, right? And that's an important piece of information, too. So sometimes you may have an experience, you're like, oh, terrible. But, you know, I don't want to do that experience again. So that's the other piece to it. But that's what I would say is get out there and ask questions and see what you really want to do. And that will open those opportunities up to you. People say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to ask and you like that. And especially as you get more senior. As a junior person, yeah, they're going to come out with a list to fill it. They're going to say, hey, look, these are your mobilities that we need to fill. Who wants to go where kind of thing. And so you get to pick a little more. But as you become more senior too, you know, just asking around, seeing what opportunities are out there really will help to open those doors. So as far as being offered versus asking and things like that, I always want people to be more proactive. You can always tell after you've had a discussion with someone, hey, that's not really what I want to do. I mean, you don't have to tell them necessarily that. You can say, hey, thanks a lot. You're trying to really learn a lot and kind of move on. But you'll never know if you don't ask. That is a way to open up opportunities and things. I never would have gotten a job at PMED. I actually, so many of the things jobs I've ended up with is because I wanted to do something else. And the new that job, I really wanted to go the officer charge up at Muni in Glass, Connecticut, which is where you go as a junior new remote candidate or someone in IDC. And it'd be a really great place to be. And uh, Kevin Lewis said, no, no, I got a job for you. So I ended up not with the job I wanted, per se, but I ended up with a great job where I learned a lot. So that's the other thing that sometimes there's opportunities out there that nobody's advertising for. And that's the way you find those. Thank you so much for that advice. I want to dive a little bit into UMO. So you said that you were preparing for the PRT during medical school. Can you tell me a little bit about what Sky School was like and your experience as a UMO? Awesome. So Sky School, I have to caveat this first because my Sky School experience is at least 15 years old, right? So I just want to put that out there. I always tell junior UMOs or UMO candidates or people who are interested. That's why I try to connect people with who just went to school. Because one thing about that school is they change things. And so I learned 
couple of years ago when I was doing Dive Motivator for some of the folks who want to do DMC and UMO at Wolfery that they really want to do push-ups like all the way down to the ground and stuff like that. And it hasn't always been that way. That part, I can tell you, get current up-to-date information. What sort of things are they using? Just those little things. But the big thing for me, especially being the only female candidate in my class, was I really wanted to have the PRP stuff locked on. So I definitely practiced the PRP um, as a whole entire thing, but then also worked on individual segments. Always a challenge for many female candidates, but also male candidates, there's a pull-up getting out there, practicing a pull-up. I got really into rock climbing, actually, which um, helps a lot with my pull-up. I have, he's now a captain, West Brian Hickey. He was a year ahead of me at USIS, and so he and Pat Mitchell, who was in my class at USIS, he used to, you know, go to pool and swim. It was great to have those guys, especially Pat Mitchell, who was a SEAL before, kind of go over some of the techniques. Because I will tell you that nobody teaches little kids how to do combat side skills. It's just not a skill that you generally learn. Getting some of those little tips and tricks from other people who've been through it is really very helpful and um, makes stuff easier. The other thing is the singing. I mean, you just got to go out there and do it. It sucks. And if you haven't done it before you show up, you will be in trouble and you will be in a lot of pain. I did not buy the super hard fins, which I regret, but go out, buy the super hard fins that they use at dive school, so practice with the actual equipment that you're going to get. That makes a huge, huge difference. I went to the first class. There are two classes for you alone, one that classes up in July and one that classes up in December, so I have to tell you I'm a little biased because I am very thankful I went to the July class because Brown, Connecticut gets really cold after November and stayed that way for quite some time. When I showed up, Broughton was beautiful and it wasn't too humid. It was great coming from Maryland or I was in Virginia at the time, down Portsmouth. Going out to Broughton was wonderful. We got to run outside a lot, which was great and get some outside. For me, I don't know what they're doing about the swimming these days. Again, I trained in a different era, and I'm not sure some of the things that we did, snorkeling around and singing in the little pond, is things they do nowadays. But maybe they're worried about that though. But uh, at any rate, it was much more pleasant experience to go during the summer. Now, folks are always scared, well, if I go to the summer class, you know, I might not get the boat I really want. Well, Many times for these operational bills, because UMOs are coming out of school twice a year, they'll double stuff you into a billet. They will provide more overlap with the person who you're going to be replacing. So the summer class gives you that opportunity. So winter class, which classes up in January and in late June, does not give you that opportunity. It's cold and rotten in January. It's not pleasant. There's much more indoor training which might be some people's cup of tea. Some people also want that six months to get in shape at their internship. I worked very hard on my internship to stay in some baseline level of shape. And I did this by riding my bike a ton, and anytime I had time off, they were just instituting the 80-hour work when I started my internship, so we didn't do a very good job of that. But I tried to get in as much training as I could and stay in some sort of shape to show up and go out and make it.
it was great because at first I was like one of the faster runners, but after guys got in shape more, <laughs> I no longer was one of the faster people. But at first it was really great. Anyway, so I do encourage you to stay in function shape during internship. I know it's tough, but that definitely helps. If you've completely gotten out of shape, having that extra six months to get in shape certainly is a great opportunity. Other people are calling me these great staff tours. Bring us up. And I did. I, so I can tell you, I originally wanted to go to the winter class, and I had this great stash tour set up. Stash tour is where you take the hospital that you're at, and you go somewhere else and work. And so I had actually set it up to go to Mount Warfare Training <laughs> out in California. And it's a really neat place. That's another thing that you can look into is mountain medicine. And cold weather medicine, and I had done cold weather medicine during my fourth year of medical school, so I was familiar with the place and the grass out there, and I thought, what a great place to train at altitude for six months. Like, I'll be a total stud, right, by the time I get there. Well, the Navy had other plans for me, and they said, no, you're going to the summer class, so I just got to stay in shape. It was a total disaster when I showed up. That's the staff tour. But I warn people about the staff tour because what happens is people who want to go to that winter class Things come up, and they can put you anywhere. So you might have a great plan like I did, and you may end up not being able to execute that plan. Whereas if you go right to your low training, you know what you're getting right out of the gate. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Some people still like to roll the dice. Right for good does the same thing. They have more classes than we do. I plead ignorance when it comes to flight surgery. I really, I ask my flight surgeon friends to talk about that, but people do on a different time during the year, and so sometimes they end up staying at their internship location. Sometimes that means that you're like the PHA can go clean after your internship if you get sick. So just keep that in mind that it may not work out to be the great thing that you think it is. Anyway, I'm a big fan of summer class, if you can tell. So you go first to grad, they give you a couple weeks to get in shape, do some of the radiation and health stuff. Then you go down to dive school and do your dive school training, and then you go back to grad. Now, that may have changed, so don't quote me on that, but that's what it was when I went through the training pipeline. They played a lot with the sequencing and things like that, because the whole idea is we want as many people to make it through dive school successfully as possible. The attrition rate is the best in any dive community. So we get more people through than any other community does, whether it's um, just basic dive officer or one two Charlie, which is the basic diving rating and things like that. However, all that being said is we still lose medical officers who are not able to make it through the training for a variety of reasons, but usually either water incompatibility or inability to PT are probably the top two causes. Of that. And so one of the other pieces is demonstrate your comfort in the water, whether that is through getting some basic scuba training. Don't tell them to dive for you, are a diver already, but don't do well with that. But get that basic scuba training first. Make sure you can feel comfortable. I highly recommend that because some people can just get in the pool and do it the dive school way, but I was so glad that I had taken and gotten my dive certification and go quite a bit, actually, before showing up at school because it just made me feel a lot more comfortable in the water. Even being a great swimmer, many people think that is the ultimate key. 
not necessarily, because you got things on, and more than being a great phone, you need to be comfortable in the water. You need to be okay with them ripping the regulator out of your mouth and not being able to breathe and holding your breath in the water. Being stumbling on them, all those kinds of things. You can watch the videos about what saturated is like on YouTube and things like that. But that's probably the number one thing is that water incompatibility. And then people just not being able to pass the PRP. So if you're practicing the PRP regularly, that should be pretty much a non-issue for you as well. Those are probably my tips and tricks as far as getting through the program and then getting off to your first tour, which hopefully will be extremely rewarding. Now, why do you recommend not telling them if you have any previous bad experience? Because it has brown upon you. You have not been through the Navy dry again. There's a mental component, I should say, to dry school. I'm very aware of that, again, as a female student, I got lots of special attention. I have my own personal watcher when I did my pull-ups to make sure I do them correctly. You just don't want to offer anything that the guide school instructors can latch onto you and give you grief over. My guide study at guide school was PA, actually, and he has been a seal. And I have to tell you, he was an amazing guy, and he definitely got me through the IWPs, which are the in-water proficiency tests, which are very challenging, or at least were for me. It gave him such grief over having been a SEAL and now being a PA and going through the training. He obviously could take it. And he was an interesting guy because before he was a SEAL, he was actually a roughneck and worked in the Texas oil field. And he really had had quite a lot of training in enduring challenging situations. That all being said, I did not have that background, and I was very thankful to keep my head below the radar, so to speak. So that's why I tell you that we had a guy in our class who cried about things and was complaining and stuff. And again, that was set him up for lots of individualized attention from the instructors. This is not what you want. Talk to anybody who goes really any of the schools, whether it's floods or EOG school or things like that. You want to do your job. You want to do the best you can. And don't quit. Keep trying. Like, if you have to quit, you should fail physically, not quit because you're looking weak or whatever they kind of perceive that as. You don't want that attention from the instructors. Does that kind of answer the question? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. In our final few minutes, can you discuss what it's like to be on tour as a UMO? So, again, I have two different experiences. For medicine, so you're the doctor, right? You're uh, their doctor, which is a huge transition from internship where you're like kind of the bottom of the barrel as far as the hierarchy in the hospital goes, to now you're the doctor, which is really an amazing step to make. Yes, we got transition from, and we're getting better at training folks. When I went through, it was like when you're in the hospital, like literally go to that school, go through all the training, and the next day you're like, you're the doctor. So it was a little bit of a hard transition for me to make uh, at first. People are into it, I should say. But, so there's that, so you're seeing sick call, you're doing physicals, things like that. But then, depending upon 
what type of unit you're with, you could be with the unit because, again, you have to understand your working environment and things like that. You are a diver. You need to continue to dive. So if you're with Chip's husbandry type unit, you go it at Cold Harbor, actually, at the clinic. is one of the best kept secrets because that you know gets to dive once a week <laughs> with the particular divers there at Pearl, and they do all kinds of neat things. When I was with the ship, we did dive on the ship, actually. Some uh, repairs to the ship, things like that. So those are actually working lives. It's been not to do. Some folks have obviously gotten to do much more as far as maybe going to ease. It happen as much, I think, nowadays because we don't want doctors getting hurt, but some folks get to do some additional parachute training or get to go to additional schools and things like that. Again, depending upon who you're with and, and what you're doing. Obviously, with Marines throughout the field, do different operations that they're doing. There's many, many opportunities. And that's why I say go out and visit your Diego or your uh, one of the other Norfolk area. Go out and visit with those UMOs or the rotating at the hospital. Visit with those UMOs and get them to take you out. And hey, you know, what am I doing? When I was going to say, oh, you're the, I got to do the, um, what they call a track hanger for fuel tactics. They get to jump out of the helicopter into the water and then they come back around and pick you up. Do you think, I mean, it's obviously not all-inclusive list of different villages that you could go on as a UMO? Sure. So, you need for communities, right? Diving community. Um, you can go to the both at dive schools. There are underwater construction teams. There are mud zoo, which is a mobile diving salvage unit. And then there are some research fillers as well with the, like the diving side. With special warfare, obviously that's a field team, check field delivery vehicles. I kind of lump, it's a NECC, which is the Naval Expeditionary Combat Command. That EOD as well, which goes to the disposal folks. All of those specialty units there. Then the Marine Force and the Marine squadrons all around the world to include Guam got a special submarine development group up in Washington State as well. You have some research stores as well that are more submarine-type focused. And the schoolhouse uni as well as enlisted submarine school has UMO billets there as well. So really something for everybody if you're interested in research, there's research opportunities, if you're interested in special warfare, diving, I know a lot of people are like, just count the subs, but I personally, that was my favorite community to work with. I really enjoy them. They have a really amazing history and a really critical mission. People, at least when I went through, kind of looked down on themselves. Looking back now, that's probably one of the, my favorite communities to work with. So that kind of gives you an idea of what's out there. Thank you so much. And my final question is, what is going to be you on those tours? It depends, obviously, where you go. Some tours are going to be, like, I believe, following right now. And, again, the detailer will have to, to tell you for sure. I think that's only a year. And there are some other ones that are shorter tours like that. But for the most part, you're looking at two to three years, depending upon if you're 
within the continental United States or your overseas. Okay, thank you so much. That wraps up our episode with Commander Dirk today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us teaching military physicians. And for those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email standoffeducationchair at gmail.com. And thank you for tuning in.